This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, a financial partner for businesses throughout the South for 130 years. Trustmark offers a range of products and services designed to help small businesses efficiently manage finances. More info at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We're talking about mutual funds today. Whether you're a sophisticated investor or need to learn the basics, our chartered financial advisors will demystify this diversification tool. They're also ready to take personal questions on other topics. So give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Hope you are both doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. What about some financial news in the news? Well, we've got some uh, sort of good news, bad news. The good news that hit yesterday is that Americans are saving more money, and we're always delighted to see that. We bumped up to an 8.2% average rate. Wow. Um, that's that's really good. Now it's that's not really high for Americans. It is high for Americans because we are terrible at saving and we need to be more in the 10 to 15% range. Now the bad side of that is if we're saving, then the flip side is we're not spending as much. And not spending means that that could affect the economy because it depends on consumer spending. So it's always that balancing act. But for all of our well-behaved, well-financially-behaved listeners out there, I know y'all are doing better than that 8%. And y'all, aren't going, so. y'all aren't going crazy on the spending, particularly after our last episode on budgeting. I know y'all are, <laughs> y'all are saving a lot. Um, one story I've been following, it's been kind of interesting, is uh, about this company called WeWork. And ah, yes. uh, so if you listen at all to any financial news. You've certainly heard some, some stuff about it recently. It is a privately held company. It's one of these startups that you know is going to change the world with the way that we work in our offices. Um, essentially, the company, they, they rent out a huge office space and then they put desks in it and then they rent out the individual desks to people. So just think of it, they're just subdividing large office spaces. And that's their that's what they do. Um, that's how they make money. But they also you know, it's found by this kind of charismatic young guy who's all about like let's have uh, parties I, yeah, at the end of every day. A little and crazy. So they me? spend a ton of money. You know, they spend a ton of money to attract people to their properties, to get people to their properties. It's a very useful service. I mean, folks who have, um, you know, we have a couple of these. They're called co-working spaces. There's a couple of them in Jackson, and folks who just and need you know a single desk. These have been around for decades. It's, it's, that idea. Yeah, this idea has been around for a long time, but they are just doing it on a scale that no one has ever come close to. And so they're talking about uh, going public, becoming a public company. And, um, they were talking about being valued at a hundred million dollars or something, a hundred billion dollars, a huge price uh, for what they were doing. And but what started emerging, and and we talk about it sometimes, and it's really hard to see how this affects you. Is, is corporate governance? It turns out that this founder, leader, CEO uh, guy was uh, he was taking advantage of the company in all sorts of ways. He owned the majority of the shares. He controlled the company. He could pretty much have the company do 
whatever he wanted to. And he was having the company do whatever he wanted to. He had the company loan him money so that he could turn around and buy a building to lease it back to the company. He, he, ha- he forced the company to change the name of the company, but then they changed it to a name which he owned the trademark for. So they had to pay him for that. And so there's all these just icky, icky connections that he, because he controlled the company, he had the majority voting shares in the company, was making this company do all sorts of things. Obviously terrible for the other shareholders. Um, it's been so bad that, I mean, people are already thinking, oh, this company isn't worth it. Like, you know, they don't actually make that much money. They're not growing actually that fast. Um, but the price, the value, it's gone from $100 billion. They were thinking, okay, maybe it's going to be 80 maybe it's going to be 40 uh, maybe it's going to be 15 They've put off the plans uh, for making it a public company. And there are talks of uh, ousting the CEO just because he's it's bad corporate governance. And, and that's why you want to pay attention to those things. Uh, you want to pay attention to, you know, are the CEOs, are the people who control a lot of the company, are they just taking money out of the company? Are they taking advantage of the company? Are they forcing the company to buy their own products? Um, you got to watch out for that. And that brings up the difference between a private company mm-hmm. and a public company. So if you are a public company and you offer your shares to the public, mm-hmm. you're under all kinds of regulations. You have to be very transparent with everything that you're doing. Private companies can get yeah. away with a lot of stuff yeah. like that that a public company cannot. And, and as a public company, as a board of directors or CEO of a public company, you are stewards of somebody else's company. It's not it's not your company anymore. It belongs to all those shareholders. It belongs to all those Americans who are who are buying shares in your company. And so you are stewards of their capital. You are supposed to watch out for them. And um, unfortunately, a lot of times uh, folks don't. <laughs> Well, he's, he's getting it while he can because he knows if it goes public, he's not going to be able to do that stuff anymore. Uh, back to the savings. Any speculation on why Americans are saving more? Um, sometimes it's because we're feeling a little nervous. Um, so uh, typically, if people are very comfortable in their jobs, which we would look at the unemployment rate being very low, we think, oh, we're not worried about tomorrow. We can spend more. Um, but sometimes when people get a little nervous and a little concerned about the future, they're going to save more. Um, another thing that may be happening is we're kind of long in the tooth on this expansion. So maybe with an aging economy, we just we're just not interested in buying as much stuff as we were buying before. All right. Uh, We're going to be talking today about mutual funds, also looking for any personal finance questions that you might have on other topics. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email the show as well. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. And we do have some open phone lines if you have a question for us. So when we talk about mutual funds, let's basically start out by saying, what is a mutual fund? Well, let's back up and talk about a pool fund. Okay. So a pooled fund, which a mutual fund is a pooled fund. A pooled fund is just a collection of securities. And it can be anything in that collection. It can be stocks, bonds, money market instruments, real estate. Most anything can be in that collection, or sometimes we'll call it a portfolio. So a mutual fund is one of those pooled funds. It's just a collection of securities. And by pooled fund, we're talking about multiple 
investors pooling their money together right. so that they can buy more stuff and diversify more easily. Um, how long have mutual funds been around? Oh, a long time. I'm trying to remember. Maybe the first one was in the 40s or 50s, but it wasn't until about the 70s uh, that you really started to see an explosion in the area. Um, and that happened. It's connected to the change in our retirement planning where we went from pensions to 401ks where we're responsible for saving for our own retirement. And mutual funds are really designed for those 401ks. They allow for small investors to get into the marketplace. Um, you can buy partial shares so that fits those small amounts coming out of your paycheck every few weeks. So they're perfect for retirement plans. Uh, diversification was a word we used in uh, the opener. Uh, is that one of the main uh, advantages or uh, nice things about a mutual fund? That's definitely an advantage. Um, and so just going back to the earlier example, say you have 10 people and they each have 100 bucks. Um, you know, maybe, you know, as an individual, I can go buy, you know, a share of something that's $90. Or I can go buy a share of four things that are $25. But if we all pool our money together, we can buy all sorts of different things. Uh, we can not only buy more shares uh, and kind of and share the profit of that, uh, or we can buy multiple things so that we're spread out. You know, we can buy a couple of shares of GE and a couple of shares of Coke and a couple of shares of Apple and Facebook, uh, and then also, you know, leave some cash. And, and we can do that without running into the problem of, you know, my money isn't enough to, to split it up amongst those things. All right. So if you invest in a mutual fund, who decides how that money is all divvied out, which securities are included in well, the fund? you're going to have a manager of the fund, and um, and if you're going to participate in the fund, there's going to be a fee to participate. And the largest piece of that fee, about three quarters, is going to go to that manager. Now, when the fund is set up, there's something called a prospectus, and it's, it's a, a guideline for how this fund is going to operate. And so they'll have some guidelines for the types of things that they're going to buy and some limitations on what they can't buy and can't do. But within that, your manager gets to decide. Uh, and then you would purchase shares in a fund just like you would shares in a stock or a bond? Somewhat. The the, the technical way that it works is a little bit different. Uh, so the funds do have a manager, and then they have a, a company that is the sponsor of that. The company kind of owns it and runs it and manages it. Um, and with a stock, you go to the stock market exchange and just, you know, your broker will go out there and find, find someone who's willing to sell it and buy it from them. With a mutual fund, you actually just go to the company who manages it and send them the money. Uh, and they basically just open up an account for you. And with that account, you get a share of the mutual fund. So that's the difference between uh, a primary market and a secondary market. Yeah. So with a mutual fund, you're always in the primary market. You're giving your cash directly to this company that you're buying shares from. And then they're responsible for investing that cash for you. And if you want your money back, you have to go back to that company company. In the secondary market, which is what we see when we talk about the Dow or what is the S&P 500 doing today, the secondary market is you're not dealing with Apple if you buy shares of Apple. You are dealing with somebody else who owns shares of Apple, another investor where you're trading that. And those two pieces are very important for the health of any market. So the primary market allows companies to get money or capital, and the secondary market gives us that liquidity of trading amongst ourselves. 
All right. We are off and running about mutual funds on Money Talks this morning, and we're ready for your questions. So if you have a question about a mutual fund, give us a call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show. Send it to money at mpbonline.org. What's an unusual electronically traded fund having to do with Americans being overweight? We'll tell you when we get back from the break. You're listening to... Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. If you missed part of the show, you can go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org to listen again. Also, we'd like to remind you about the MPB Public Media app. When you download that, you can listen to all of the MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule on your smartphone. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We're talking mutual funds this morning. Uh, before the break, we mentioned this, but there's a quirky fund that includes stocks that have a relatively direct play on America's much-publicized obesity epidemic and related health issues. It's called SLIM. ETF. ETF meaning? Exchange traded funds. And that's uh, an exploding area of a new type of pooled fund. And the first ETF was in 1993. I do know that one. And they've become very popular. All right. We have a caller on the line, so we will open up the phone lines and say good morning to Bert in Jackson. You're on there with us, Bert. Go ahead. Good morning. Y'all confused me just a second ago when Nancy was saying uh, about the uh, fund manager and a company. I thought you were insinuating the company was like Fidelity or Magellan. Um, and then you mentioned secondary and primary market. Uh, is primary like individual stocks? Okay, let me go. Company. Let me go back to. Okay, and, and let's just use the example of WeWork. And Ryder mentioned about WeWork is talking about going public, having an initial public offering. If they do that, that will happen in the primary market, meaning WeWork is trying to raise money. Right. You and are you are buying your shares from WeWork. Exactly. And so um, when you do that, they. They give you shares, you give them money, and they're supposed to take it and do something with it. As soon as they go public now, if you want to buy shares of WeWork, you don't go back to WeWork. 
you have to buy them from another investor who owns the shares. And that's what happens in the secondary market. And any kind of stock trading you see during the day reported on our uh, the news at night, that's about what's happening in the secondary market. What's different about mutual funds is you're always going to be in the primary market with what we call an opened-end mutual fund. You're dealing directly with the company running the fund. So if you want to buy shares, you have to give them cash. They give you shares. If you want to cash out your shares, you have to go back to the company to do that. But the company in that situation is Fidelity and Magellan, as example, exactly. Apple or WeWork. Exactly, yes. Right. And so when we talk about the difference between the company and the manager, uh, the company, Fidelity, they are uh, they have a whole bevy of, of, of mutual funds, but they are doing all the kind of records keeping and accounting, and they're the ones holding your money, et cetera, et cetera. They can hire the manager. You know, the manager can be a single human being who is just sitting there and picking stocks. They can, they can pay another company to do the management. They can outsource that, um, or they can have just a whole, you know, they have a whole investment department who just contributes to all of the different uh, funds that they have. So that's uh, kind of the difference between when we say, you know, the mutual fund company versus just the manager. Because sometimes when we talk about the manager, we're just talking about an actual single human being who is sitting there and, and picking stocks and writing articles but and forms. they Forbes. manage the fund. They manage correct. the fund, correct? Yes. They, yes. They're not within Apple. No. The shares. They manage the fund. Yeah, that's all for the fund. All right, thanks. All right, Bert, thanks for your call. Um, I'm not sure I know how to ask this, but you mentioned that the the one that started out, the mutual fund, will say, hey, we're going to invest maybe in these types of stocks, but not this one. But the manager does have some latitude within those exactly. guidelines. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. They'll, they'll say they're, you know, they may um, have limits on what they can do as far as some what we call alternative investments. Uh, they may say, hey, we're going to focus on big U.S. companies mm-hmm. or we're going to focus on just uh, banking companies. Um, it can be anything. Yeah, and, and actually one good distinction sometimes people make is, especially in bonds, they talk about we're only going to invest in bonds of very credit worthy, you know, very good credit companies, um, because there will be certain investors who are just, they're just not comfortable owning certain types of bonds or certain types of stocks. And so when your prospectus says, you know, we will not be investing in those, then that's like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that. And when you're looking at a mutual fund, uh, I always tell folks, the first thing is you need to peek inside that portfolio or look at their prospectus mm-hmm. and say, well, what do they own? And are those the kinds of things I want to own? myself and then the second thing is okay how much are they charging for me to participate yep. in this pool all right so we mentioned fees what are some of uh, some of the fees associated with a mutual fund okay so there's a handful of fees one that is always going to be there is an expense ratio and that expense ratio is an ongoing annual fee which pays as we discussed it pays the manager um, and sometimes tacked on top of that there is a what's called a 12b1 fee and that is a uh, they call it a marketing fee but that's often um, 
you know, they use it to get on certain platforms. So if you open an account through Schwab or Fidelity or something, you know, that 12B1 fee is going to Schwab or Fidelity to um, compensate them for all the trouble they went through to put that on their website. Now, know that um, when you purchase something, typically we're looking at a price tag with dollars and cents. But when you're purchasing or paying fees with a mutual fund, we're looking at a percentage. And that percentage, whatever the percentage fee is, is going to reduce your percentage return. Right. Um, And so that's the expense. That's kind of the ongoing expense of, you know, having the fund. Um, A couple of funds, some funds will have a front load, uh, which is basically a a commission for whoever whoever sold you the fund. Uh, So whoever your advisor or your salesperson is, they may have gotten, you know, those commissions can go up to about 6%, I think 5.75, maybe the highest I've seen a commission like that. Um, sometimes they're a bit lower, um, and these are very avoidable uh, if you are not working through a broker or working through um, a commissioned salesperson. Um, a, a lot of mutual funds just don't have that, and they'll have different share classes which have different fee levels on them. That's an important uh, that's an important concept there. Some some mutual funds they'll be it'll be a great fund, but you know they'll have one share class which has a commission on it to encourage salespeople to go out there and sell it. Uh, one mutual fund will have a, a higher 12B1 fee so they can get on various platforms to get better uh, reach a bigger audience um, and some won't. They'll have a super stripped down one. Maybe they, maybe you can only get it in certain situations. Maybe you have to have a certain uh, dollar amount to get in. Um, and one other fee there can be is there can be a, a, um, a can they call it a back load. Uh, basically if you sell within a year or sell within a certain amount of time uh, there may be a small charge on that uh, or possibly just whenever you sell it, there will be a small charge. That's typically smaller than a front load, though. All right. So, Nancy, Ryder just used the term load twice, front load, back load. Right. Load, load is a commission. That's okay. all. It's just the, another word for a commission. Right, yeah. And uh, I always think it's a funny choice of terminology there because, uh, to me, it reminds me of, of having an extra rock in your backpack if you're trying to climb the mountain, uh, which means it's harder to get to the top with those mm. extra loads or yeah. commissions on you because that drags down your return. And um, we do know from research that that the biggest contributor to your return when it comes to mutual funds are going to be those fees. And the higher the fees, the lower your returns. So you need to find a way to lower any of those commission fees, to lower those annual expense ratios, um, and still get the types of securities that you're looking for. There are probably about 20,000 mutual funds out there when we consider all the various share classes. So there's a lot of overlap. And so if you find one, that's doing something that you like, but maybe the fees are high, I guarantee you can find one that's doing the same thing almost for less. So do you have a question about uh, mutual funds or other uh, personal finance questions? If so, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You know, I know I've heard uh, the, the advertised as no-load funds, and so again, mm-hmm. uh, that would be that there's none of those fees. And so, so far, I guess when we're trying to pick out a mutual fund, we've kind of determined you need to figure out what's in it, look at the perspective to see where your money's going to be invested, and now you want to also 
those find out how much uh, extra fee, how much it's going to cost to be involved in this. Fund. Yeah, and it's so easy to do that now with the internet. You know, back in the day, uh, we would have to get on the phone and we would call and we'd ask for a prospectus and an annual report that that uh, gives a list of the actual holdings and the returns and wait for that to show up in the mail. You can now go to those sites if you're dealing with Fidelity or Vanguard or T. Rowe Price or whoever and look up the fund. Uh, Morningstar.com is another good resource. They do all kinds of broad-based research on mutual funds. So you can look up those funds, see what they own, and see how they performed and then what it costs. All right. Let's talk uh, for a few minutes about uh, ways an investment can increase or decrease. Uh, Let's start with a dividend payment. What is that? Well, so okay. So companies, when they make money, uh, they can pay out that. They can do a number of things with that money. They can they can reinvest in their business. They can expand their business. They can buy other companies. They can pay a dividend because there are owners and we people own companies to make money. And so if it's doing well and making money and they don't have anything better to spend it in, just send it back to the shareholders. Um, so when a fund owns a bunch of these companies that are paying out dividends. Then the fund, the dividends get paid to the fund, um, but those ultimately get passed on to the folks who own the fund because you know it's just the fund just holds the stuff for the investor. And um, a mutual fund has a really interesting um, pass-through arrangement, which requires them to send out all of those dividends and capital gains before the end of the calendar year. And um, once they send them out, then you may have a tax liability. You're going to have to report those if those are occurring in a taxable account and pay income tax on them. Yeah, so that's one one point about mutual funds. It's, you know, you don't have any control over, um, you know, when those capital gains get realized because you're not the one making those buying and selling decisions. But obviously the amount of your dividend would depend on how big a piece of the pie you have in that particular... I mean, your, your dollar amount would. Um, as a percentage, though, um, you know, it, it would be the same for everybody. All right. We've talked about capital gains, so let's define what capital gains well, and, are. And let me go back to just talking about a return on investment and where that comes from. It comes from cash flows. So cash flows while you hold the investment, which is what a dividend would be, and then a cash flow when you sell the investment, that's going to be a capital gain or a capital loss. And the combination of those two. So if it's a stock... Sometimes they pay dividends, sometimes they don't. Uh, If they don't, you're counting on just the increase in the share price, which is going to be a capital gain. Yeah, and and so I'm going to go ahead and skip to the next point here. An increase in the share price for a mutual fund, they call it an increase in the NAV or the net asset value. Because you know when you have a single stock, say you have Apple and it's a you bought it a hundred share, a hundred dollars a share, and it goes up to 120, it's pretty clear you made twenty dollars. Um, but when we're talking about a fund with tons of companies in them, and some are going up, and some are going down, and some are going sideways, and some are just paying out a dividend, um, they they have to take all of that and add it all together and what is the value of that whole thing what is the net value of that whole package
huge. Uh, that whole fund, and then what is your share? What is your slice of that? And so if the companies are, for the most part, doing well and growing, then you will see that NAV going up. And that's that's one of the ways that folks, you know, that's one of the ways folks make money on now, mutual funds. Now, know that the NAV, the net asset value, or the price per share of a mutual fund is calculated every day. But it has to be calculated at the end of the market day. So mm-hmm. once the market closes, then they have to say, well, okay, here we own a 1,000 shares of Apple and we own a 1,000 shares of Microsoft. And what's the closing price of each of those securities and multiply by the number of shares and then divide by the total number of mutual shares, uh, mutual fund shares outstanding. And that is the price per share of the net asset value. That is determined one time a day. So the weird thing about mutual funds is when you buy or sell a mutual fund, um, the trading on that doesn't happen during the day. It happens overnight after the market is closed and they can calculate the net asset value. All right. You're listening to Money Talks and it's time for another break. We're talking today about mutual funds. It's Mutual Fund 101 on Money Talks. Uh, If you have a question about mutual funds or another personal finance question, give us a call because we've got some open phone lines and the number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show, send it to money at mpbonline.org. We'll tell you about an unusual mutual fund that concerns social media when we get back. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Botridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We are talking mutual funds this morning, and Buzz is a fund that targets the most frequently mentioned stocks across the social media landscape, such as Facebook or Twitter. So, uh, Nancy, as you mentioned, uh, a variety of, of, um, of mutual funds. You could probably find one that just uh, about covers anything that you would want. different flavors. All right. Um, so are there different types of mutual funds, maybe money market funds, bond funds, stock funds, balance funds? Let's talk about the different types of mutual funds. Yes, there are different types. Well, there are different types. Um, A money market, um, sometimes we think of that as being a savings account, but a money market is actually a mutual fund that is full of very short-term money market instruments like uh, repurchase agreements, um, you know. um, Very short-term loans, uh, bank loans, overnight loans. There's just anything that's real short-term. Yes. All right. So uh, I'm the genius here. I would guess that a bond fund has 
bonds in it. Oh, you nailed it, Kevin. <laughs> uh, yeah, so bonds are typically, it, it, and this is, you know, we're all talking about fixed income, things that are loan-like, things that pay interest. Uh, we just talked about money market, which is all of on the very short end, generally less than a year. Bonds, uh, usually folks are talking about slightly longer term from maybe two or three years to five to ten years, even as far out as uh, the longest term U.S. Treasuries are 30-year term. Um, you can also have things like uh, mortgage-backed securities because mortgages can go out as far as 30 years. Uh, corporate bonds, you often find those in the kind of 5, 10, 15-year range. Um, and so, yeah, anything longer term. Uh, bonds, of course, it's, it's just like a loan and it pays interest and at some point it gets redeemed. When we're looking at a bond mutual fund, generally we're looking at who's issuing those bonds. Uh, Ryder mentioned corporate bonds. That's a corporation. Apple uh, could borrow money from the market. Uh, Microsoft, uh, Kroger, these are all corporate bonds that they're issuing out there. And then the second thing you're looking at is the maturity. Um, how long before they pay off the loan? Is it going to be three years, five years, 10 years, 30 years? So we look at short term, intermediate term, and long term. We can have, back to the issuer, we can have government bonds. So the federal government issues bonds. Those are going to be treasuries. Um, you can have municipal bonds. So the city of Jackson issues bonds so that they can get money to do what they need to do. Um, are bond funds considered to be less volatile than stock funds? Generally speaking, yes. Um, again, because a bond is, it's a little, it's its quite a lot more predictable because you only ever expect to get just your interest payment and there's a whole ton of leeway. I mean, if the company is doing really well, you're not going to get any more. So you would, wouldn't value it necessarily a whole lot more. Uh, and if the company does, and if the company does a whole lot worse, you might not get that money, but you know, you kind of either can see that coming or, you know, when it happens, you know, that's that's the one time that bond goes down. Uh, so they fluctuate a little bit with interest rates. And I know that's happened a lot in the past couple of years with interest rates uh, coming sharply up and then sharply down a little bit this year. Uh, so that's their main fluctuation. But again, just because there's so much leeway, as long as the company can still pay it, you pretty much expect it to be worth it. All right, got a couple calls, too, but let's get one more uh, definition in. Uh, what is a balanced fund? Oh, it's an all-purpose fund. Um, I, I call it the Walmart of mutual funds, everything <laughs> under one roof. Mm. And uh, so a balanced fund, if you're going to own a balanced fund, you've got all the diversity you need in that one fund. You probably don't need to add mm -hmm. other mutual funds, which people tend to do. So it's going to have stock funds of different size companies. It's going to have... Um, bond funds, it's going to have maybe some cash, maybe some real estate, all under one fund. And, and the reason for that is because, you know, investors, it's often, they all have different goals and they all have different needs, but, you know, you can have uh, stocks, bonds, or cash in your portfolio. Those are the three kind of basic plain vanilla things. And everyone needs them in kind of different combinations. You know, a young, aggressive investor might have it all in stocks and an older uh, person who's living out of their portfolio might have, you know, maybe a majority in bonds or half bonds 
bonds and cash. Um, so the balance fund just kind of does that split for you. So if you're just looking for simplicity, one manager to kind of you know keep all that you know kind of guide you along the way. Um, that's what a balance fund. So if is you're going to do that, you only need that one. And we, there's another type of balance fund called a life cycle fund, which we are seeing in a lot of retirement plans, which means it's based on when they think you're going to retire or your age. And so it adjusts based as you age. All right. Got a couple callers on the line. Let's start uh, by talking to Danny from Slidell. Good morning, Danny. Go ahead, please. Hi. My question is sort of a clarification of what you said earlier. When you own a mutual fund, the fund owns the uh, stocks and you buy shares in the mutual fund. But you said if you buy stocks directly, they're owned by somebody else. And I always thought that when you buy stocks and, and you go to a broker like Schwab or uh, I don't know the other names right off hand, but you go to a broker and you buy, you know, 10 shares of ABC or whatever. That's my first question. That's a clarification of what you said earlier. Mm-hmm. And the other question is uh, investors have always been told buy and hold. That's the way to make money. Mm-hmm. But when you buy 10 shares of ABC from a broker like Schwab or um, one of the other companies, and you hold it, how do they actually make money off that? If you buy and sell, you're paying a fee. But if you buy and hold, uh, you're not paying a fee. And you know wh- where are these big brokerage companies getting income if you're not buying and selling? The first question was just a clarification. Yeah, so that clarification, um, I, I believe I was the one who said that. I may have missed, but what what I meant to say is when you're buying a mutual fund, you go directly to the mutual fund company. You give them your money, and they just open up an account for you. That's the that's what we're talking about, the primary market there. When we're talking about the secondary market. You purchase stocks on the secondary market. Yes, your broker goes out and finds the stocks, but you are not purchasing. When you go and buy ABC, you are not purchasing it from ABC Company. You are purchasing it from someone who else who who has ABC and just wants to sell theirs. Uh, so that's what I meant when I said um, you are purchasing it from just another person. Yes, you once you buy it, you own it. Um, it's it's your stock then. Um, and, and to be fair, with online brokerage accounts or just when you're looking at your statement, that, that distinction might not, might not be meaningful. But it, that's just a kind of mechanics of how the market works. Let me speak to the second part of that, which is, um, uh, Danny, most people aren't as bright as you are. And so Schwab is counting on that, that people are going to be trading a lot, and they make their money with these low trading fees off of volume. And so if you've learned the lesson of buy and hold, they're not making as much money off of you. But you can bet there are a lot of people out there who are doing that kind of trading, maybe more than they should, and that's how they make money. And I mean, yeah. My mother bought stocks, I don't know, back in the 70s and 80s. And when she passed away, I inherited her trust and and Mm -hmm. stocks in there that she's held for 20 and 30 years. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sell them because my mother had this simple system. Stocks can go up and down. If they go down, that's fine because she's going to get dividends. And if the stock goes up, the value goes up. 
and she may not get as much dividends, but she never bought and sold a whole lot. And uh, I'm going to do the same thing with with the uh, with the um, her portfolio, and basically it keeps going up because of the dividends. I get, you know, there's about fifteen thousand dollars a year in dividends, and. My mother would just pocket that, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Well, let me just offer one caution with that, because I I do like the buy and hold strategy, but understand that companies do change. And so, so sometimes we just get into the mindset of, hey, that General Motors has always been a great stock. And suddenly we wake up one day and they've gone bankrupt. Um, so companies do change. And so it's important for us to always come back and look at our portfolio, look at what we've purchased and ask the question, is that company still well run? Do they still have um, the potential for growth or is there a better option out there? All right, Denny, we appreciate your call. Let's uh, take another break. Uh, am I correct in saying that the one opportunity you do have to buy stocks directly from the company is in that IPO? Yes, in the yes. initial public offering. Okay. All right, so time for one more break. Uh, Bubba and John, if you would hold on, we'll get to your questions right after this break. For today, we are talking about mutual funds. Still a chance for you to call in if you have a question. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 We'll be back with more after this. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taft of New Perspectives. And we're talking today about mutual funds. We've got a couple of calls to get to, so let's jump back on the phone lines. We go to Kosciuszko and invite Bubba into the show. Good morning, Bubba. You're on the air with us. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to ask you experts. I listen to your show and enjoy it. Uh, my wife and I started giving money to a, uh, a state college foundation about 25 years ago. And it's we provide scholarships, and then something came up last year. I looked at how the returns on that foundation had been for the last 25 years, or really last 12 years since the market crashed. And they were, I'm not going to say uh, subpar, or that they were below the mutual funds, but they were pitiful. They were less than half of the mutual funds. Well, I looked around and they're not the only foundation that does this. And so when I went and I've inquired, and I hate to spend, tell you how many hours I've spent on this subject, but they tell me, oh, no, we can't buy mutual funds. You know, we have our private money managers and private equity funds. So I would like your comment. Why do they avoid mutual funds, and why do they pay these high-priced money managers so much money? What is the deal with that? And what is, uh, how can, anyway, I like your take on that. 
Well, um, I mean, they do have the option of working with professional managers, but if you have a fund like you're talking about where people are expecting, I've given you money and you're supposed to produce a return, then the board that is governing that and the trustees have a responsibility to monitor and hold any kind of manager's feet to the fire. And if a manager is not producing as much as what you're seeing in the market, you need to fire them. Plain and simple. Yeah, and and you see this a lot. A lot of times, the folks who are actually maybe on the that investment board and making those board decisions, they're they're not necessarily there because their board uh, their investment expertise, and so they often will outsource it to um, you know an outside manager. And especially, I know you mentioned private equity, and so they have because they are institutional investors, they have so much more money than uh, just individual. So they should be getting investors. the best. They managers. should be getting the best manager. But they also have access to much wider and wider fields of investment. And they can uh, get into things that just are, are just not as transparent. Um, and you mentioned private equity. Private equity often has very high fees. Um, and so uh, one, uh, one foundation, one university foundation that has pioneered this and done exceptionally well with this is Yale. They're often pointed out as just basically the best investors in the endowment universe. Um, and they've pioneered kind of, you know, investing in timberland and private equity and all these kind of weird other things that it's really hard for individual investors to do. And they pay managers a ton of money. But and it's worked out very well for them. It's and fine everyone, if they're producing. And everyone wants to copy that model. And that's why you see smaller and smaller endowments getting into private equity. But they're not the ones who can get these good deals. They're not the ones who really know how to identify those managers. So, um, yeah, if the returns have been poor, and, and here's the thing, and you can't just compare it to, say, a single mutual fund. You know, they they have different types of investments in there, and, you know, their investment time horizon and their investment goals are different from just, you know, what what an individual but worker may be. But if you've be. had 12 years, you should be able to look at that long of a period of time and expect some reasonable returns. If you're not getting it and you're a donor, then I need think you need to withhold your money. All right, uh, Bubba. Thanks for your call. Let's get another caller on the line. Uh, John has called in this morning. Good morning, John. You're on the air with us. Hi there. Hey. Um, I read recently that Warren Buffett has arranged that upon his death, all his assets will be placed 90% into an S&P index fund and 10% into a bond fund. I haven't heard you talk about index funds. Uh, What do you think of that? So uh, that's great. Uh, index funds are just, I'm not going to speak too specifically to somebody else's estate plan uh, without their permission, but uh, no, I have heard that as well. And an index fund is just another type of mutual fund. So we've talked about mutual funds where they hire a manager and that manager is out there doing research and picking stocks and visiting the companies. And, and he's like, ah, I'm sure this is the best stock. So that's one way to do it. You can pay a manager to do that. Or you can just, when you make the fund, type up a list of stocks and say, we're going to buy these stocks, or we're just always going to hold the 100 biggest ones. And every year, we're going to look at it, and if and if there's a you know different ones or the 100 biggest, we're going to sell the old, smaller ones and buy the new bigger ones. So that's an index. It's basically, it's basically a simplified form of management where you just reduce it to a real simple formula or something. Um, and so the S&P 500 is an index, and so they are fun, and it's a very well-known index. It just tracks the five 
500 largest, or as Nancy, uh, you know, exposed the other day, 501 largest U.S. stocks. There are plenty of funds. They're just like, all right, great. You know, say we're going to just buy the 500 largest funds and the amount that the S&P 500 holds them and and just call it a day. The advantage of 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 an index mutual fund is often that um, because you're not paying somebody to do the analysis and do the stock picking, it should be cheaper. And there's a lot of research that says, you know, it's just as good. Um, uh, Jack Bogle, John John Bogle was the father of the index mutual fund. He passed away uh, less than a year ago. He has a great book, not in print, I don't think any longer, called Bogle on Mutual Funds, that talks about index mutual funds and actively managed mutual funds and also gives you some ranges for expected expense ratios. What about that 90, uh, 10% break in uh, equities and bonds? That's pretty aggressive. That that the the split between stocks and bonds is that's going to depend on your kind of personal goals. You know, if you are living out of an account and you're spending five percent of it every year, I would definitely not advise that you be ninety percent uh, stocks. But uh, here's the thing with Buffett's money when he dies is it's just going to go into a foundation. It's going to go to charity and it's going to try. You know, he wants it to last for a very long time. He wants it to last forever. So he may as well invest aggressively with all of that time on his hands when he's not spending that time because he's dead. All right. John, thanks for your call. We've got about a minute left. Let's do a quick uh, definition of uh, large cap, mid cap, and small cap. Well, cap is just a shortened uh, version of capitalization. And capitalization is where you take the stock price times the number of shares outstanding, and it tells you how big a company is. So large cap is going to be really big companies, mid cap, medium size, small cap, small companies. You may even hear of micro cap. Very small companies. All right. So uh, let's review here some things. If you're going to be investing in mutual funds, uh, what are some reminder of some of the things that you need to think about on the front end? The first is what's in the portfolio. Is that what I want to own? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, focus on uh, expenses and uh, how they have performed compared to what they own, Um, especially if you're dealing with a manager. If, you know, like an earlier caller, if that manager is continually underperforming his benchmark, maybe he's not actually doing what he says he's doing. All right. Uh, That's going to wrap us up for today. Just a reminder, uh, we can get your personal finance questions via the email machine, even when we're not on the air. So if you're throughout the week, if you're uh, dealing with your personal finance and an issue comes up that you would like some help on, you can always send us that uh, email throughout the week, money at mpbonline.org. We will try to uh, get that to you uh, during the show. And we're on the air, as you know, from every uh, Tuesday morning from 9 until 10. So, Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash talks, or you can listen to the podcast. Just search for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener was Java Chapman. So, for Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's In Legal Terms, and we'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks. Heard all on MPB Think Radio.
Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, a financial partner for businesses throughout the South for 130 years. Trustmark offers a range of products and services designed to help small businesses efficiently manage finances. More info at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 